what we're going to talk about today has a lot of relevance to those kind of things. Uh, and you'll see this as we go along with what we're uh, discussing. So I have been the faculty club advisor for the ICPA since it started. Um, and it's been really amazing just watching, um, watching the growth of this club over the years. Um, but one of my favorite things that I love doing is I'm really into research. I'm constantly writing research. I'm constantly reading research. And something very extraordinary came out. That I, something like this doesn't come out very often, where the, the repercussions and ramifications are this long lasting and this big. But this came out back in February. I don't know how many of you guys are aware of this. But the CDC, along with the American Academy of Pediatrics, in February of 2022, changed the developmental milestones. This was a stunning change because nobody expected it. It was not announced anywhere. Like usually, let's say as an example, if my wife and I were talking, you all know my wife, Dr. Lisa, who teaches psychology here. So my wife and I were talking uh, about this, and usually like when the DSM, the Diagnostic and Statistical Manual that the psychologists use changes, what they do is they announce we're going to change it, and these are the changes we're thinking of, and then we collect data, and we have authors pitch in, and we have people that come in and give us opinions, and it's a whole big process. This was just like, boom, all of a sudden, all the milestones uh, changed, all of a sudden, out of nowhere, uh, with no discussion, no anything, no foreshadowing. And here's the problem, and if you want to look at it, this is, this is the link right over here, if you want to right, type that in or take a picture of it. This is the problem. Number one, because I was scrolling through these things. Number one, walking change from 12 months to 18 months. And number two, talking change from 12 months to 15 months. Now, I don't know about you, but I've been in practice for a long time seeing a whole lot of kids. And when you start seeing things change, especially increase in time, you gotta wonder why. Why would they decide to change milestones from 12 to 18 months and talking, uh, walking from 12 to 18 months and talking from 12 to 15 months. Why would you change that? If, in your brains, what would you say would be the reason to change it to make it later? Why? Why would you change it to later? Yeah. To me, they're just like changing it because a lot of kids are doing it later instead of thinking like, why are they like doing it later? Very good. You know? What's the the comment? Alondra, Alondra said it brilliantly. Instead of thinking, why are more and more kids doing this later? Their thought is, well, our kids are not developing as quickly as they should be and used to, so we're just going to change it so that people don't feel that, right? Now, that's not what they say, right? But that's what's behind it all, right? And then, this is the crowning thing of them all, this one. According to the New Academy of Pediatrics, uh, crawling forward on the belly and assumes hands and knees position on the milestones for children 8 to 12. The new change from CC, crawling is nowhere to be found. They took out crawling. Crawling is not necessary, is it? It has nothing to do with brain function, does it? Like, are you kidding me? I remember scrolling through the article that I showed you here. It's like a 50-some-odd page article, and I'm looking for crawling, looking for crawling. What on earth happened to crawling? And why do you think they got rid of crawling? What was their rationale to get rid of crawling? There's so much variation. 
There's so much variation in time. In other words, some kids crawl younger than others, and some kids crawl later. And there's so much variation in how they do it. So some kids crawl on their booties, and some kids could do a cross crawl, and some kids do, uh, you know, like a crab crawl, some kids do a bear crawl. So there's so much variation, we decided to not have it at all. You know, in my brain, when we learned about what crawling is in functional neurology, crawling is like the thing that makes the corpus callosum kind of gel together and start working. So you have inter-hemispheric, intra-hemispheric communication. You say crawling isn't important. What I say is if a child is crawling incorrectly or misses crawling altogether, you're gonna have a big problem later on. See, but the thing is, is that they don't see that. Right, because they won't put together, oh, my kid is dyslexic, when they find out when they're six, to he didn't crawl very well when he was a baby. They won't put those two things together. They won't put the things together that says, if you mess up a developmental milestone now, there are ramifications later. Right, so if you guys have any kind of computers that you're taking notes on, that's very iPads, but more like a computer, and you, it was off, and you turn that computer on, what does it have to do to turn on? And it wasn't like standby, it was off. You gotta push the button. And once you push the button, what happens? Does it turn on instantly? No, so you're on shutdown and then you turn it back on. What has to happen? Like if you have a MacBook, like there's a MacBook right there. If you have a MacBook, what happens? Well, first thing it has to do is load, and the way it loads is this. Right, the apple comes on, right? And then you hear, and then you see like this like taskbar go across your screen. And then your screen comes up, and then it says, enter your password, and then you enter your password, and then, and then now your entire screen fills in. Right, that's a developmental milestone. Right, your MacBook, your PC is too, but not as much. Your MacBook has a developmental milestone trajectory. Certain things happen at certain times. So the app comes, the music comes first, then the apple, then the taskbar, then the home screen. Right, four steps. Same thing, you got rolling, and sitting, and crawling, and walking, there's steps. If you're a MacBook, you turn on that MacBook, and you, it, nothing happens, and a black screen comes on, and then it goes do, and then the, the taskbar goes backwards, and then the apple fades, you'd be like, uh-oh. Right, something's wrong with my MacBook. But when a baby misses crawling or decides to walk later, talk later, whatever, you're like, oh, it's no big deal because now the milestones are fine. Yet I can show you paper after paper after paper <clears throat> that says something like, there's a there's seminal papers in 1998 that got me into this whole thing was a paper by the title mouse that says, early analysis of infant mobility predicts autism later. So you get kids who aren't walking correctly, you get kids who aren't rolling correctly, you get kids who aren't crawling correctly, and you, you see that when they're little ones, that is highly predictive of something neurodevelopmental, you can't say autism necessarily, but neurodevelopmental later on. <clears throat> Yet the CDC says it's okay to change these things. Right, so here's, <clears throat> here's the new CDC guidelines. Right here, it says baby at 12 months, it used to say, Walking now it says pulls up to stand. 
It used to say talking, now it says Cole's parent, mama or dada. That's the only words. Child of 15 months, used to say here, walking, you know, running, starting to run, now it says take a few steps on his own. Used to say here, has five or six words, now it says try to say one or two words besides mama or dada. And here's 18 months, 18 months now walking without holding on to anything and trying to say more, three more words besides mama or dada. If a kid comes in at this point, like, I, like people asking me, students especially in docs, because I teach, speech, uh, teach, teach with ICP too, docs are saying, what should I do when someone asks me? I say, I'm sticking with the old milestones. I don't care what these new milestones are saying. I'm uninterested in what the milestones are saying. What I'm interested in is what I see as normal, what I see as typical growth of a healthy, neurotypical child. This is not neurotypical. What they're doing is they're normalizing pathology. They're normalizing pathology. They're taking things that are wrong and they're making it okay because there's so much of it. <clears throat> there's so much of it. Oh, no, the SMEs, which is subject uh, matter experts, agreed that milestones should be easily observed in natural settings and 75% of children would be expected to achieve a milestone. They changed it from 50% to 75%. That's how they changed it. SMEs believe that the 50 percentile milestone for surveillance would not support clinical decision making for developmental screening because only half the children would be expected to achieve an individual milestone by any given age. What? So tell me something. Riddle me this, Batman. Tell me how on earth all of a sudden kids in the United States of America suddenly shifted from 50 to 75 percent. How did that happen overnight? Where did that come from? What brainiacs came up with this kind of thing? Right? A bunch of people sat there in a room saying, hmm, we have a bunch of kids now with autism and ADHD and learning disorders and all these developmental milestone issues, and it's making the country look really bad, so maybe what we should do is we should push everything up. Let's push everything up a little bit, right? And, and there'll be a little hubbub now, but you know, a couple of years from now, nobody will remember that we did this. Right? And it'll make us look so much better and smarter. Right? Just the same way that they changed diabetes. Do you remember, uh, you, guys, you guys don't remember this. When I was in school here, they changed diabetes, adult onset diabetes, right? diabetes type two, right? They didn't, they didn't like, that. you call it now a diabetes type two. When I was in, in school, it was adult onset diabetes, but eight year olds were getting it. And, and then 10 year olds, and they had all these kids getting adult onset diabetes. They said, but this doesn't look good. We better change the name. Right, so, they have, so now they have diabetes type one, diabetes type two, yeah. Going along with that, do you know what percentages and like how they change the milestones in America, do you know what it is compared to other countries? This is a great question. And this has been the question I keep on asking. And the answer is everybody has been stunned around the world by what we've done. So now people are trying to figure out what's, like what's the real milestone. The CDC has been like the guideline for everybody. But as we've seen in the last couple of years, CDC, it sounds like they're not really got all their eggs in one basket. So there's a lot of hubbub now about what's the real milestone and what isn't. So there's, there's all kinds of studies now. The World Health Organization, as of last time I checked, still has the old milestones. Right, so who's right? Who's wrong? I don't know. Good question. <clears throat> so, the theory is problems as a baby that are unresolved turn into problems during school and beyond. That's what I want you to get at. If you remember one thing that I talk about today, problems when they're little turns into problems when they're bigger. 
You can't miss a milestone now and say there will be no ramifications later. It doesn't work that way. You miss, you miss something up now, something will happen later on. The number one kind of kid that I see in my practice, and I've been doing this for 33 years now, is autism. That is the number one reason why I see a, a child of any kind in my practice now is because of autism or something related to autism. It wasn't like that when I first graduated. When I first graduated, what was the number one reason why I saw kids? Still a common reason now. Ear infections. There's something very, very different about our kids today. We're growing different brains. I am telling you, mark my words, we are growing different brains. Children on the spectrum, and I'm sorry, I, I only had like a day or so to make this, so I, I'm telling you all the stuff that's in my head that I wish I had time to put here. <clears throat> kids on the spectrum, they have different brains. It's not that they just have different behaviors, it's that their brains are physically different, morphologically different, connections are different. Why is that? Because we live in a neurotoxic world. There's something different about our world than the world you grew up when you were kids. You look at the numbers, when I was a kid, 1960s, 1970s, what was the autism rate? One in what? One in 10,000. What is it now? One in 44. 50 years, one in 10,000 to one in 44, yeah. How do you respond, like, if somebody asks you about those statistics and then they say, well, science has advanced since then, like, how do you respond to that? That's a great question, great question. So the, what's your name? Leah. Leah, Leah asked a great question. How do you respond when someone says, well, science has advanced, and we have much better diagnostic abilities now, um, which I hear all the time. And another thing I, say, I hear also too, Leah, is genetics. You know, it's all genetic. This is a genetic thing. Well, first of all, there's no such thing as a genetic epidemic. You can't have a genetic epidemic. It's not possible, right? So that's the first thing. Second thing, science has advanced, and there's a lot more kids being diagnosed with autism today that maybe years ago would never have been diagnosed because the DSM-5 has broadened their easily access to, to, to that because they want more kids to be diagnosed so they get services, which in, in one wet way is actually not a bad thing because some of these kids do need special services in school and if you don't give them that sort of label, then they are failing out in school because some of these kids need extra time, some of these kids need bigger font, some of these kids need, need power pros to help them or, or they need to have somewhat a reader for them or whatever, there's, there's definitely things that, that some of these kids will absolutely need that they wouldn't get if they weren't given a diagnosis. And would, would, it's definitely helpful. However, I am a student of Dr. Robert Melillo, a functional neurologist and chiropractor who um, wrote Disconnected Kids and all that kind of stuff. So I'm certified in his technique. And one of the things that he said through his research is that you can account for maybe 50% of the raise in autism and neurodevelopmental disorders through better diagnosis. But what is the other 50%? Right? It's gotta be something else, and it's the neurotoxic world that we live in. The world that you guys were born in, in the 1990s, most of you I'd say, probably looking at you, 1990s, not the same as the world today. Kids born today, they don't have the same chance. That's why, thank God you guys are here in this room, because the kids need you. The kids need you, desperately, desperately. Now switching gears. 
And you'll see how this is all, this is all gonna relate to, it's all gonna make sense at the end of how my brain is thinking. My ADHD brain. I read this article a couple months ago. The twitching generation. Around the world, doctors have noticed teenage patients reporting the sudden onset of ticks. Is this the first illness spread by social media? So what they're actually saying is that there are kids out there who are developing tics and Tourette's. And for those of you who don't know what Tourette's is, right? So Tourette's disorder is like a tic disorder with vocalizations. So what'll happen is the kids will like, and I've seen a bunch of kids like this, they'll start off with like, shh, like they'll, they'll blink or move their, their heads or they'll start this is a very common thing you'll see is they'll blow out or they're <coughs> constantly clearing their throat. And then it starts turning into like Tourette's is more of a vocalization where they'll start saying, hey, or ho, 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 or some kind of weird like noises. And then in the worst case scenarios, um, there is a very small um, amount of people with Tourette's who actually will start to say um, very nasty things. Um, and sometimes obscene uh, things uh, to people and not being able to control it not being able to control it at all. What's happened though, is, is and of, of note, is that there are some kids in Europe and the United States who have become these TikTok sensations by filming themselves having these little tick-like episodes and then other people watching them and start to mimic them. And it's especially happening in teenage girls, according to research. I'll get back to the slide in a second. Um, but this is from the Wall Street Journal recently. Teen girls developing tics, doctors say TikTok could be a factor. When teens started turning up in doctor's office with sudden severe physical tics, specialists suspected social media. The girls have been watching Tourette's Syndrome TikTok videos. So there's one particular uh, uh, person born as a male in Germany, and another one born in the United States, and another one born in England that are very, very popular. And this is this young lady born in England, her name is Evie. And this is the TikToks I went on her site, and this is the TikToks that she's showing. What she's doing, she's glamorizing and monetizing illness. She actually wrote a book about this because she's so popular. Now, not that that's wrong. I mean, it's, it's capitalist money. Go ahead, make money however you can make money on. There's nothing wrong with that, right? So in that sense, I don't see anything wrong. There's nothing wrong with her having a Tourette's episode and showing it on the media. That, that's what people want to watch, right? The difference is, is the availability, right? Because I guarantee you, 20 or 30 years ago, when you guys were kids, the only way you would ever know what Tourette's was is if someone in your school had it. Otherwise, you would have no earthly idea. But now, people are looking for stuff, right? They're scrolling through TikTok and Facebook and Instagram and whatever other God's name things are out there right now. They're scrolling through these things, looking, 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 looking. And something like this, if you see someone having like a, in this weird episode or cursing out loud in this string of obscenities, you're probably gonna stop and watch it. And what's happening is this is creating something called an MSI. Write this down, this is gonna turn into something. Mass sociogenic illness. This is something unheard of until a couple of years ago. Mass MSI, mass sociogenic illness. This is according to what this article here from Brain uh, Magazine said. Oh, oh I didn't put that one on. Um, according to what it says, it says that this is the first illness 
transmitted by social media. The first illness transmitted by social media. That is scary. That is really scary. And getting back to this one over here, see, why do I do what I do? Because we gotta reach these kids. Because look at what they're saying. This is from the article in Atlantic Magazine. They're saying, <clears throat> some use the phrase tick-like behavior to distinguish their moves from those called by Tourette's. While the concept of functional tics arise from another condition called functional neurological disorder. Hmm. Functional neurological disorder. Who should take care of that? Do you think that they should take more Ritalin? Or Prozac? Or lithium, is that the answer? We have a Prozac lithium Ritalin deficit in our children. Let's create, let's create the, the next, uh, you, you want the next Shark Tank idea? Put like Prozac and lithium and Ritalin in one pill, right? And sell that, there you go. There you go, right? That's called a Brave New World. You ever read Brave New World, Aldous Huxley? Have you ever read, do you, you know what I'm talking about? Okay, if you haven't read A Brave New World, it's a thin book written in the 1950s that was very predictive of what's happening in the world today. What, how about 1984, you've read 1984 by George Orwell? Oh my God, you guys are missing some stuff, man. All right, and then how about, here's another one, Atlas Shrugged, Ayn Rand. Okay, you gotta read these, yeah, amen. You got, these are some of the best, these are the best chiropractic, not chiropractic books I've ever read. Fiction, that they're novels. Uh, Atlas Shrugged is about a thousand pages, so that's a woo, it's a big one. But um, 1984, and especially um, Brave New World, I'm telling you, these are amazing books, and what in Brave New World they showed is that everybody, it was is more of like a socialistic kind of society, and everybody eats in the same place, and they go to the cafeteria for breakfast, lunch, and dinner, and when they walk up the line, they get a little pill box, and everybody takes the pills. And the pills are designed to shut everybody up and stop them from thinking. But there's a group in Brave New World, there's a group who doesn't take the pills. And what happens, right? So that's what I'm seeing is, is what we have to do as chiropractors, right? I am not a back doctor, nor are you. If you truly understand what chiropractic is, you will realize that you are not a back doctor. The back is just the place that you start. That's your entry in to the child. I am a brain and nerve system specialist. That's what I am, that's what I do. That's what I tell all my patients, that's what I want them to understand. I may adjust their spine, right? I may touch their spine in different ways using network or bioenergetic synchronization or activator or Gosted or whatever it is that I happen to use, but that's my way in. It's not my job. My job is to change the brain of every person, especially kids who come into my practice. That's my job. So I see functional neurological disorder. That's me. That's what I do. I check for reflexes. I check the stimulus system. I check their eyes. I check how their brain is working. That's how we make such a big difference in the kids that we see. Because we are changing the way their nerve system and brain works. 
Do we do adjustments? Of course we do. Do we deliver those kind of things? Absolutely. But that's not the only thing we deliver. Because the kids today, they need more. The kids today aren't the kids from 50 years ago. The kids today need more stuff to help input that stuff into their brain. Neuroplasticity says adding a new novel input is what changes the brain. But an adjustment once a week or twice a week for a couple of minutes is an insufficient amount of time. You need more time and more time. Repetition, repetition. So having them have exercises to do at home reinforces what you do in the office. That's why what we do is so powerful. <clears throat> and now to get to the crux of the matter. This was from a couple of years ago. All children eight and older should be screened for anxiety. This was from a couple of weeks ago. All teens should be screened for depression. What? What? Is that what's happening to our kids? That every one of our kids needs to be screened for anxiety and depression? Every one of our kids? What is happening to this country? What is happening to this country? It's life or death from the New York Times last month. The mental health crisis among US teens. Depression, self-harm, suicide, are rising by American adolescents. This is pre-COVID. This is from the New York Times. How self-inflicted injuries have shot up in the last couple of years. Because of the stress that living in a neurotoxic world does to them. The stress of living in a neurotoxic world. <clears throat> and then we have Tuesday in Uvalde, Texas. Yes, we absolutely have a gun problem in this country. There's no doubt about it. But we really have a mental health problem. When a kid who's in high school decides to go to his own elementary school and kill 21 people, that's a mental health problem. Yeah, it's a gun problem too, for sure. But it's really a mental health problem. And who is going to do something about this? Who's going to do something about this? Because look at this. Look at the. I think this is an interesting correlation that I, I just kind of figured out yesterday as I was doing this for you guys. This is the mass shootings since Columbine to now. Notice the trend. Bless you. Notice of interest. 2020, during the heart of the pandemic, we only had two mass killings that whole year. Isn't that interesting? Right? I don't, I, nobody's studied that one yet, but I like to figure that one out. But look, but now it's just it's popping back up, right? Popping back up. But look at the same, look, this trend going up like this, this is the use of smartphones, tablets, computers, and games for three hours a day or more in kids. Do you think there's a correlation? Right, and so now let's go backwards. So, okay, Ruben, I don't know where you're going with all this. You're talking about developmental milestones, then you talk about TikTok, then you talk about smartphones, right? So you have to get my brain, this is how my brain kind of wobbles around things until I get to a, a point. How does a kid shoot his little, like, friends, brothers, and sisters and be okay with this? Where does this come from? Where does it come from? It comes from a massive disconnect. 
Now, I can't say this with 100% certainty, but I can tell you two things that I would almost guarantee you. I don't know this for sure. There's no article that, written that says this or don't. <clears throat> Number one, did that kid in Uvalde, did he ever go to a chiropractor? Or if he did, did he go to a brain-based pediatric chiropractor? I doubt it. I doubt it. Number one. Number two, was that kid on any kind of psychotropic medicine like Ritalin? Probably. Almost every kid who's been involved in a school shooting since Columbine has been on some kind of drug. Why is that important? I'll just get back to this in a second. Where's the, oh my God, it's not there. This is what happens when you put something together too quickly. Okay. So why is that important? <clears throat> because Ritalin has a black box warning. I talked about this in my future diagnostic class this morning. Ritalin has a black box warning. The black box warning says, warning, use of Ritalin can cause psychosis. Warning, use of Ritalin can increase aggression. Do you think that's a problem? Do you think that's a problem in the wrong kid? Sure was the other day. And how many other times have there been all these mass shootings where someone has been taking some kind of medication? Who's gonna do something about this? Yeah, right? Who else? So look at this, this is from last year. Key findings, children's mental health report. It is estimated that 13 to 20% of children living in the United States, one in five, experience mental disorder in any given year and costing $247 billion. But it ain't for chiropractic. Here's the question I have for all of you guys. When you graduate, you got one mission. It's not to pay off your student loans. You'll do that. No. It's, it's not to, to, you know, do anything else but to get to the kids. We gotta get to the kids. When I see something like this happening in Uvalde, I'm like, where are the chiropractors? Was this kid ever adjusted? It saddens me. Because my kids don't do this. The kids in my practice, I call them my kids. You know, I have my own kid, but these are, they're all my kids. Like I'm like the, you know, I've adopted all the kids in my practice as my kids. If my kids don't do this kind of stuff, my kids are like the happiest, healthiest, most amazing kids. They get into the colleges they want. They do the things that I want. I've watched my, some of my kids that have adjusted when they're three years old now have kids and bring their kids to me. Right, how crazy is that? Like, I don't feel like I'm old enough to have that happen, but apparently I am. And look at this, this is, a, for a, this is the Navy study. One in five US adults experience mental illness. One in 20 adults experience serious mental illness. 17% of youth have experienced mental health disorder, and youth meaning teenagers, like, what's wrong with this country? What's wrong with this country? 
chiropractors, I, I hate to say this, or chiropractic students, I should say, chiropractic has not done its job. You've got to go out there and do the job that we couldn't do. You've got to reach more people, right? I'm, I'm, doing, the, I'm doing as much as I physically can, but I need help. Yeah? That's a great question. What's your name? Emily. Emily. Excellent question, Emily. So here's the most important thing. And uh, um, Emily just said, how do we convey that what chiropractic does is the same as pills? We don't say that. Right? Here's my job, all right? I don't adjust autism. I don't adjust ADHD. I don't adjust, I don't even just back pain. What do I do? I take care of subluxations and I make sure that the brain and the body work together. That's what I do, nothing else. That's what you tell them. So you come in and you say, I have acute autism. Okay, I don't care if you have acute autism or a totally healthy kid or whatever it is, I'm doing the same thing. I do the same exam on every single kid and whatever we find, I will fix with some sort of chiropractic adjustment and whatever neurological imbalances we find, I will fix with functional neurology. And every adjustment and every exam that we do gives us a blueprint for that particular child. This child gets these sorts of adjustments, these sorts of exercises. Because what I'm doing, mom or dad or caregiver, is I'm fixing their brain. I'm changing a pattern. Your child wakes up in the morning with a certain pattern in their brain, right? And here's the, just a very typical happening yesterday in the report of findings. We have most kids with autism, this is their pattern. Not quite that exaggerated, like, you know, like this, but they have a high shoulder, they have a high hip, they have a forward head tilt. That's called defensive posture. A child in, with autism has a defensive posture because you and I, we could be in this room, we could, we could be totally fine, but a child in this room with autism, listen to these noises, right? Air conditioning, shh, right? The lights, right? If this was a regular classroom and everybody was typing away, everybody's typing away in their iPads or their laptops or whatever, right? Those noises are, that's like being attacked all day long. Imagine being in a classroom and feeling like you're attacked all day long, right? You guys are all calm in this classroom. They're not, imagine sitting in this classroom not being calm because you feel like, oh God, there's noises, there's noises, right? So you gotta change that pattern. If I don't change that pattern, nothing changes. You can throw all kinds of drugs on that kid if you want, but nothing will change the pattern until you change the pattern. Because all the drugs are gonna do is mask. It's like putting a Band-Aid or a piece of masking tape over a problem, right? We wanna change the pattern. So I don't go into, I don't go into their world, they come into my world, right? So their world is, you gotta fix the autism, you gotta fix the ADHD, you gotta fix learning source. No, I'm not fixing anything. I'm making the brain and nervous system work better. And, and, and here's the deal, people want this. People want this. I get dozens of new patients every single month, most of the kids, because this is what they want. So don't let people out there, and I know there are people out there saying you can't build a pediatric practice. Don't let people say you gotta take insurance. You can do whatever the hell you want. 
I make more money now with that insurance than I did with it. With no headaches. Nobody saying, you can't do this sort of adjustment. I'm sorry, network is not allowed. I'm sorry, you can't do that kind of adjustment. I'm sorry, you can't offer those sort of exercises. I'm like, who the hell are you? Who are you telling me what I can do with my patients? I'm the one who went to school. I'm the one with the person in front of me. Not to say you shouldn't take insurance. If you want to take insurance, go right ahead. There's nothing wrong, there's no judgment, right? But I like playing my way, my rules, my sandbox, right? So it's my sandbox, my toys, my way. And that makes for a really fun practice. So when I go all day, I play all day. Me and my staff and my interns, we just play all day. Right. Is there a question? Yeah, I don't know if you can explain this like simply or not, but um, medications like Ritalin, um, stuff like that, is it creating like a synthetic pathway like to make the, the brain and the body connect or is it more masking like receptors and stuff that are creating the symptoms that they're having? Great question. So the question is, what does Ritalin do? Does it create a synthetic pathway or does it change receptors? Ritalin is very much like Prozac. Like Prozac is an SSRI, right? Selective serotonin reuptake inhibitor, right? Ritalin is like an SDRI, it's a selective dopamine reuptake inhibitor. What it does is dopamine is pushed out into the synapses and then the synapses in the synapses for a certain amount of time before it's taken back in, right? So what um, what Ritalin and things like Ritalin, other methylphenidates do, is they will slow the reuptake of dopamine. Because dopamine is like the action, fun, energy kind of you know hormone. That's what it's for. And so if you take away, if you allow the dopamine to sit in the system for longer, then you just become more and more dull, like this. So that's what it does. Yeah. Um, what does the conversation look like in your office with parents and screen time? And do you have that with parents? Yes, great question, Brian. So uh, the question is, what does a conversation look like with, with parents in screen time? I will tell you, in the beginning, I don't touch the subject because it's very, it's a hot topic. Yeah. So I don't want to, I, right, my, in, in early stuff, I want them to fall in love with chiropractic and I'm not even gonna push anything else, right? You gotta fall in love with chiropractic first and then we can start pushing my agenda on you. Right. That's the that's the, the first thing. It's like make this a safe, happy place. Because if you say, okay, you come here three times a week, and you're no, no more gluten and dairy, and you're gonna get rid of the phone, they'll be like, ah, you're right to you. Right. So you have to go gently, as they say, go gently in the beginning. Right. But then after a while, I will start. And this is what I just noticed: is after a while, you'll start to see the kids once their brains start turning on that you're, you won't even have to have some of those conversations because it starts happening naturally. You start doing functional neurological exercises and the right kind of adjustments, a lot of these kids will naturally start to go towards other things, and also the kid who used to be on a phone is now on a book, right? But if that doesn't happen, which sometimes occurs, then what you, you tell them is, what, like, what, why, does, why are kids so addicted to screens? What are they addicted to? Dopamine. Screens are a dopamine addiction. So if you're, when you're playing Angry Birds or you're scrolling up Facebook like this or TikTok and you see something, you stop it and you wait for a couple of seconds and there's a cute little whatever it is, there's a cat, you know, and it's running around chasing us, oh, it's so cute, it's so cute. Or Angry Birds and you shoot the thing, the pig, the pig blows up and then, oh, look at that, it knocks these things out, right? 
dopamine, 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 dopamine. You get these little dopamine hits. It's the same thing that Ritalin does, right? Is it creates dopamine, dopamine. So why do kids go crazy when you take Ritalin and you get the phone away from them? Because what are you doing? It's their drug. The phones are their drug. The phones are their connection to dopamine. So when you get rid of the phone, so that's what you have to tell the parents, is that, do you understand that they are addicted to the phone the same way that you could be addicted to morphine or crack or meth or whatever else? So that's what's so important, parents. Yes, great question. So uh, what tools can we help the, these the pandemic babies who are probably gonna have a lot of developmental delays? Um, is, well, I mean, as an ICPA doc, I have to say, take the ICPA classes, uh, really important. Uh, make sure you're doing research um, constantly. I'm constantly on different listservs and different journals to get more research about all the, the current events. I wanna know all the current stuff that's happening, but you really gotta study um, to me, functional neurology is also critical too. You have to study like how to assess that baby's brain and then how to teach the parents how to fix their brain when there are broken or disconnected parts, right? So my ICPA class is, does a lot of that. We talk about special needs kids, we talk about infant milestones and their issues and how to fix those kind of things. So I think that's, you know, you guys are in the right place to sit here every week and gather the information from all the great people that are coming in through here. You've got like amazing resources. That's what I would do. Yeah. How do you deal with non-compliant patients and parents that you know, like you said before, two times a week isn't enough, especially for kids that are dealing with these neurological. Sure. Uh, so the question is, how do you deal with non-compliant parents? Is um, first of all, as I said, is I always try to meet people where they are. So sometimes they're not compliant because they don't understand and it's the first time they've been exposed to it. So I give them time. You know, I give them some time to figure it out. Because we do re-exams every 10 visits. So I give them to like 10 visits or so to start figuring stuff out. And then if that's not working, then I, I although this is very rare, uh, I will sometimes dismiss them and say, this isn't working, right? I, just as an example, uh, Christmas time, we had someone come in with a child who's on the spectrum. And she says, a newly diagnosed kid on the spectrum, what should we do? And I did the whole exam and came back to report of findings and I said, it's gonna be, you know, essentially two or three times a week for the next six months or so. She's like, I can't do that. She's like, I just wanna try it today. Can I just try it today? I said, try what today? Well, try to adjust it today and see what happens. And I'm like, wait, wait, this is a pattern. The pattern won't change. Like with an adjustment, this is not like getting a cavity filled, you know, and you go and you get it filled and you're done. This is like a thing. This is like an exercise program, right? You start out like not in good shape and you get in good shape. The way you get in good shape is by doing it over and over and over again. I said, so that, that, that's what works. She said, well, I just want to try and see what, what happens. I said, nothing's going to happen. She said, how do you know what's gonna happen? I, I, trust me, I've been doing this a long time, and ain't nothing happened. One adjustment. She, she could not get that. I said, well, then, then we're not the right office for you. And you have to have the strength, even as a new practitioner, to say this is not the right office because like I have a very ideal patient and I don't want problem patients in my office and a patient who's telling you who's, this is how I'm gonna run it, that's a problem patient. 
Right? Someone says, just just crack me on the first visit. Just crack me. I don't crack anything, first off. And I don't adjust on the first visit either. Well, that's what I want. Well, I, don't, I, I appreciate that, but that's not what I do. Well, that's my old character. Well, then go back to your character. Right? You have to, you set the rules in your office. Otherwise, they will set the rules for you, and then you have a problem. So, <clears throat> I have a podcast. I don't know if you guys know this. Um, it's, I'm now like 458 episodes. I think I've just been posting this thing every week for six or seven years now, since 2015. And so, if you're interested, please listen, because I'd love to hear what you think about it. I'm a peak doc. I would love to see some of you guys in my office. As uh, I've graduated, this quarter will be my 79th and 80th interns that I've graduated since 2010. Um, so if any of you guys are interested, uh, my email address is here at drubinlife.edu. Um, one of my favorites recently who graduated uh, two years ago is Dr. Heidi Webb, who's in Wisconsin now. And she's got the number one amount of adjustments in the last five years, 590 adjustments for the exams in two quarters during the pandemic. And she was one of four interns. So that's the kind of stuff that we, you know, promote in our office. And I love ending this way. Under Armour is like one of my favorite things, you know, to wear. And they talk about protecting this house. Um, how about protecting our future? We need you guys to adjust more kids. Okay? Thank you guys.